0: It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. What a pleasure it is that God would, in His goodness to us, give us even the breath in our lungs to be able to get up and come and praise Him and fellowship with one another. So I pray that we never take our breaths for granted. We never take coming into this place of fellowship and worship for granted. We have brothers and sisters all over the world that don't have this opportunity that we do to come and praise our risen Savior. My, my prayer too is that as we are doing baby dedication, uh, that, that that that's not just something we do for tradition. Uh, we do that because we're calling on God to walk with these parents uh, and with these children to bring them up in the ways of the Lord. That one day these children would be uh, Christ's followers, and we're uh, coming with expectations that that will happen. Um, and it's not just their responsibility, as Frank said; it's ours. As the church, it's our responsibility. Um, I, I was telling—if you saw the little boy come up in the front with the backpack, that's mine. That's not part of uh, Megan and Alex's. That—that that other little boy's mine. I was like, oh, in the front row. So I was telling them, sorry about that. And uh, Jack said, Jack's the granddad. He said, hey, that's part of the family. Uh, that's what we do. So uh, I'm like, oh, that's a good reminder of that. Um, and that's what we do. We are here to help walk with them and raise uh, those two children in the ways of the Lord. Let me pray for this this morning and then we will get started here in Romans chapter 5. God, you are good to us and you are kind to us and you, in your kindness and good to us even this morning, gave us breath in our lungs. It's not because we deserve it, Uh, it's because you graciously give it to us every day. God, we pray that we would come in here with expectations this morning, uh, out of a reverence to You and a willingness to be changed by You and Your Spirit that that would happen. That we would come this morning to be transformed by the renewing of our minds the way that the Apostle Paul said, uh, that we would become more and more like Christ Jesus. I pray that for every single one of us, wherever we are in this journey, whether we have not accepted You as Lord and Savior, whether we've been walking with You for years and years, that even today, God, all of us would take one step closer in becoming like Christ our risen Savior. That we give You this morning, we offer it to You and we offer ourselves to You as a living and holy sacrifice. Have Your way in this place and with our lives. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. We'll be looking at, there's four things that we look at when we come to the season of Advent. Advent is, uh, we get the word from the Latin word Adventus, which means the arrival of or the anticipation of. And so we come with this eager expectation in the advent of Christ. Now for us, we're not waiting for Christ to come as a baby. He already came and accomplished that. That's why we come for Christmas, that Christ came as a baby and lived 33 years on this planet as a sinful sacrifice, as, as, as a sinless sacrifice for our behalf, so that we would be able to one day stand before a holy God. That's the reason that Jesus came. Jesus did not come so that we could celebrate Christmas. Jesus did not come so we could hang up wreaths and decorate a Christmas tree or eat well. What The reason that God gave us the greatest gift in Jesus was that God the Father wanted a relationship with God, His people, us, His people. And so He knew the only way that could happen if He would send His only begotten Son on our behalf. And so there was an advent up until Matthew, the book of Matthew, that the entire Jewish people had this eager expectation because that's all the Old Testament is about. Every story, every page is about the advent of Christ, the Messiah, to come. That's fulfilled in Matthew where He comes on the scene. That's what Christmas is about. is the first advent of Christ's coming. Where does that leave us? That leaves us with the second advent. Because we believe this, that Christ's words are true. He promised us that He would return again. Praise God for His return. And so we now, with eager expectation, are waiting for Christ's return. And He says, I'm coming back on a white horse and I'm going to rule over all things and I'm going to make all things right and new again. And so we come with this eager expectation. And so what we've been talking about here in this Advent for us, every Advent season we do this. We look at four things. The peace of God, that's what we looked at last week. This morning we'll look at the hope that we have. Next week we'll look at joy, and then we'll look at love. That's what these candles represent. If you've ever wondered, what are these candles in the Advent represent? They represent peace, hope, joy, and love, and the center one is Christ Himself. That's why we'll come on Christmas Eve, and we'll light the center candle as a reminder that Christ will come again. And so this morning, we will look at hope. We looked at peace last week, that we have peace with God. Now we must have hope in God. And so this morning, we're going to look at hope. But before we look at that, I want to thank to make us reminded of this. All of us in this room have hopes, correct? I know my children do. It's on my refrigerator. It's called a Christmas list. Right, they put their hopes, so that's what's going to come on Christmas morning. And it seems like every day that we get closer to Christmas, what happens with that list? It gets longer and longer and longer. I'm like, I just want to tell Tennyson, because she's the one that's doing most of it, because Cedar, he's writing, but it's like, man, I have no idea what letters, words, or numbers you're putting up there, bro. I just want to tell Tennyson, you're limited to one page. She keeps flipping the pages over. But she has all this hope that on Christmas morning, she really has this hope that, what? All those things are going to be under the tree. Now, in her little brain, she knows that's not going to be true. But even for us as adults, we all have hopes. It might be not like a Christmas wish list, but we all have hopes. Like when you get the call from the doctor, you're hoping for what? Good news. When you have to go to the doctor, you're hoping for what? Good news. When you go to look for a house, your hope is what? That what you'll find the house that you want. And on and on we go. We all have these hopes. But here's the deal with hopes for us. Is there not some place in us with every hope that we have? Some level of doubt? If we hope the phone call is going to go the way we want, but is there not some level of doubt oh man, this might be that one call. That when we, we go and we look for a house and we have that hope, like man, this is the house I really want, but there's always that hope, like man, someone might have already beat me to the punch. I have a friend, I was just telling the deacons this morning. He's in Florida. We've been friends for well over 10 years. He's my age. He's got... children and he's dying of cancer there's there's no uh, there is no hope for him I I know that as his friend his wife knows that as his wife and yet there's something in me that still has hope that I don't get that phone call today I'm going to get the phone call today I've been told that there's something in me I just hope I don't get that phone call today but if I'm honest with you, I know I'm going to get the phone call. Again. And all of us, when it comes to this thing of hope, does it not lead us to some level of anxiety? Right. And so now we come and we have all this is true for us. Worldly hope always leads to some level of what? Anxiety. Because there's some level of doubt in all of us that what we're hoping for will actually come to fruition. And so now we come to this passage of Scripture to talk about hope. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, therefore, since we have been justified, that since we have been made right before God, since Christ Jesus justifies us that we can stand in the presence of God, that's what the word justified means, by faith, our faith in Christ justifies us. We have what? We talked about it last week. Because of that, we now have peace with God. Our justification brings us peace from God's wrath. Amen? Thank God for that. Through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, the Him is Jesus, we have obtained access by faith. So our justification through our faith gives us access now to God. Praise God for that. All of us, if you're a Christ follower, you have in this very moment access to a holy God. You do not have to go see a priest to have that access. Because we have a high priest, his name is Jesus, and he died for us, that gives us access to God. Through him we have obtained access by faith into his grace into which we stand. Highlight the word stand in your Bible. I'm going to come back to that in this message. We rejoice in what? Does it say in your Bible? We rejoice. Let's all together look at your Bible and say, we rejoice in what? Hope. In what? The glory of God. So now the Apostle Paul is saying we have peace with God, but now we also have what? Hope in God. Now, my greatest fear for my life and for your life and for us as a church, we look at this word and we look at our hope in God the same way we look at worldly hope. That we come to God and we come in relationship with God with these hopes of God. But if we're honest with ourselves, do we not have some of those same anxieties that we have with the world that we do with God? Like, is God really going to do X for me? Is God not going to do X for me? And so we take our concept of worldly hope and we put that on top of God. But here the Apostle Paul says this about hope. Worldly hope and godly hope are totally different. I know we say yes, but our hearts say no. And I want to get to the heart this morning to help our minds and our hearts to both say amen to godly hope. Because godly hope never leaves, leads or leaves us with any form of anxiety. Here's what that word hope means here in Romans and throughout the Bible. It means this. It's a looking forward to something with confident expectation that it will be fulfilled let me say that definition of godly hope again biblical hope is this is a looking forward to something with expectation with confident expectation that it's going to be fulfilled and so the apostle paul says what to us we now have hope a confident expectation See, if I have confidence in something, I have no anxiety in it. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, now we can come to God because of Christ Jesus. We have peace with God, but now we also have a confidence with God. And if I'm honest, I know I have peace with God, but I don't always walk with the confidence with God. I think that confidence and my hope in God comes this way, and I have to believe this first. It goes back to what Isaiah says. God's ways are not my ways. And God's thoughts are not my thoughts. So the moment I transpose my thoughts and my ideas onto God, I will be anxious because I'm not a holy God. God does not seize time the way I seize time. So God can steps back and sees the whole picture. So God knows what's best for me. And God knows what's best for you. Now again, I would not ever in a thousand million years want Ryan, my friend in Florida, to ever have cancer. I would never wish that upon him. Would you? No. But who did? God. It's not because Ryan is a sinful man that he got it. It's because of God's sovereignty that he has it. And it will be because of God's sovereignty when he takes his last breath. The same way that we came and celebrated life this morning with these two babies. It is not because of Jonathan Lauren, and Alex and Megan. It is because of the goodness and the kindness of God that he produced life. So if He's sovereign in giving life, then He's sovereign in taking life. We believe that. But oftentimes, we believe in the sovereignty of God when He gives, or we don't believe in the sovereignty of God when He takes. But see, that's because I put my hopes in my ideas. I put my hopes in my thoughts. I put my hopes in the way I want things to happen. But this passage says, no, no, we have hope, a confident expectation that God is going to do something. And now what does he tell us in this passage? Where our hopes ought to be. You see, Paul says in verse two, we rejoice in the hope of what? Not our stuff, not our life, not our spouse, not our children, not our money. We hope in what? The glory of God. And so my question to you, my question to me is, what is my hope in today? Is my hope in my Christmas list? I know Tennyson's eight, and I'm 42, but if I'm honest, I got a Christmas list. That's not a Barbie. Amen. Right? And it's not going to be toys. But there's going to be a whole lot of things I hope come in 2020. I hope for good health. I hope for you fill in the blank. But I'm having to tell my heart, is my hope in that list or is my hope in the glory of God? So then we have to ask the question, what is the glory of God? That is the chief end of man is what uh, the, the catechism tells us. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, the only way I'm going to glorify God if is if I know the glory of God. So do you know the glory of God? The glory of God is this. I want to look at several things. And this we could be here till next Christmas and still not even put a drop in the bucket of the glory of God. My great fear for myself, my great fear for us as the church is we know a whole lot about God, but we don't really know God. And we don't really know the glory of God. Because if we really knew the glory of God, we would crawl on our faces in here. Remember what he told Moses in Exodus 34, you cannot even look upon my glory, because your face will fry off. That's Todd's addition. And I wonder how often do you know, as a Christ follower today, you have access to the glory of God this very moment. That ought to change everything about us. The glory of God. Do we know the glory of God? The, the word glory comes from the word doxa. The word glory means this. It means to. there's this weightiness about it. I can't, you can't even explain what the glory of God is. It's too grand for our peon minds. But the glory of God, the weight of God, is what we give honor and praise to. Because God is beyond measure. God is beyond our comprehension. Isaiah says this. He says that, that God in the palm of His hand holds everything together. Now think about that for a moment. Everything in all the universe and the universe is beyond here can fit in the palm of His hand. That means we're beyond a speck in that palm. But that's the glory and the grandeur of God, the, the bigness of who God is. And yet, I think so often we make God into something so easily attainable and we can kind of hold Him and pet Him. No, He's way beyond that. Are we captivated by the glory of God? Are we in awe, like the Apostle Paul says, of the glory of God? So our hope has to be in the glory of God. I'm going to come back to hope at the end. But I want to talk this morning about the glory of God, because that is what our hope ought to be in. Several things. First is this. Is your hope and my hope in the glory of God? The glory of God is eternal. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11, verse 36. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory for what? Forever. There's no off switch to the glory of God. It's eternal. It goes on and on and on and on. It's everlasting. It doesn't fade. It doesn't need to be recharged. It doesn't need new batteries. It is eternal. Everything that we know to be true for us is not eternal. You will die one day. Your children will die. Your dog and God hope all of us, our cats, die one day. I'm not supposed to say that. I don't like cats. Again, I appreciate that. But for us, the glory of God is eternal. Do we know that to be true? It's everlasting. When we breathe our last and we get into heaven, the glory of God will go on and on and on and on. The next thing is this. The glory of God is mighty. Not just eternal, So now it's eternally mighty. Paul tells us this in Colossians 1.11. Be strengthened with with all power according to His glorious might or in the might of His glory. Our strength comes from where? The glory of God. Like You and I are here this morning and we breathe the breath that we're breathing because of the might and glory of God. Without God's glory, you and I would have no life at all. So God's life is Glory is eternal, and God's life is mighty, and it gives power. So for us, what's true, if you're a believer, then one day you will be eternal with breath because of the glory of God, not because you deserve it. You did not work for the glory of God. God graciously gave you His might and His eternal glory for all things. So it's eternal. It's mighty. The third thing is this. Turn with me, I want you to see this in the passage because it's just two pages over. Maybe one page in your Bible. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. We will look at this more in a couple weeks when we do a baptism. If you want to be baptized, come see me after the service this morning. There is a baptism service in a couple weeks. But it says this in Romans chapter 6 verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him. Who's him? Christ. We were buried in Christ by baptism unto death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we take baptism, it's a representation of what happened to Christ. That Christ lived and died, and that when we go into the water, it's us like Christ in our death, but then Christ was raised from Death to life, so are we in baptism. But how is Christ raised from the dead according to this passage? He says, Christ was raised from the dead by what? The glory of the Father. You too might walk in the newness of life. The glory of God is what raised Christ Jesus from the dead you ever thought about that before like anyone ever thought well, how did jesus get raised from the dead well his father said so no the father said so through his glory is what raised god or what raised christ jesus from the dead and this passage also says that you too have been raised like how christ if you are a believer this morning in christ jesus you too have already experienced the glory of God because you were once dead and now alive. Not because you breathed anything, but God's glory was breathed into you, which brought you from death to life. So God's glory raises the dead to life. Ever thought about that before? That's the glory of God. God's glory is eternal. God's glory is mighty. God's glory raises dead things and gives life. The next one is this, God's glory is radiant. You see that in Revelation chapter 21. You know there is no sun in heaven. S-U-N, there is the S-O-N in heaven. But it's not even the S-O-N that gives light into heaven. It says this, John says this in his writings. It says, and the city, the city of heaven, the new Jerusalem, has no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it. For what? The glory of God gives light and is the lamp to the Lamb. So the glory of God is so radiant that when we get to heaven, we'll see everything in its perfection, not because their streetlights turn on, not, not even because Jesus is there, but because of the glory of God is shining in all of heaven. The glory of God. It's radiant. One more. This is what's probably and needs to be the truest for all of us. And my hope is this has been true to you. The glory of God has been revealed to us. I'm going to get to how it's been revealed to us in the next point. But the first way we see that the glory of God has been revealed to us comes in Isaiah chapter 6. Turn with me there this morning. Isaiah had been taken up by the spirit into the throne room of heaven to see the glory of God I've read this passage several times from this pulpit I'll read it again Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 through 7 it says in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord I saw the glory of God sitting upon his throne high and lifted up the train of his robe, filled the temple, or the train of His glory filled the temple. Remember Exodus 34. The train of God's glory is what passed in front of Moses. The train of His glory filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His faces because they couldn't even look at the glory of God. With two He covered their feet. And with two He flew. And one seraphim called to the other seraphim. This is the glory of God. Holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. All of the what? Earth is full of His glory. It doesn't say all of heaven has been full of His glory. What does it say? All of the earth has been full of His glory. God's glory has been revealed to us in His creation. We, no one on this planet, believer or unbeliever, cannot say they have not experienced the glory of God. I hope, believers, you've experienced way fuller than an unbeliever. But everyone in this room has experienced the glory of God because of what Isaiah says. The whole earth is full of what? His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Or, again, the glory of God. And I said, woe is me. What made Isaiah said, woe is me? The glory of God. When he got into the presence of God, the thing that Isaiah said when he saw the glory of God was what? Woe is me. Woe is me, for I am what? Lost. And I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Is that true for you today? But here's what is true. You have seen the glory of God. It's been revealed to us in all of His creation. What you and what I say, woe is me. Woe is me. I've seen the glory of God. He's revealed it to me. He comes to a place of confession. The glory of God will always bring us to a place of confession. God's holiness will always point out my sinfulness. Those two cannot be in the same room at the same time. Would I say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips? Would I make that profession and confession? Because the moment I make that confession, what happens? Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he has taken with the tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your what? Your guilt is taken from you and your sins are atoned for. What brought Isaiah into a place of confession and repentance? It was the glory of God. My question to you and my question to me this morning is this. Has God's glory brought you to a place of confession and repentance. Because if it has, the promise of this text is the promise that's true for me and you. God will atone and forgive your sin. But it starts with our recognition of the holiness and the glory of God. Woe to me. That's the glory of God. And I could go on and on and on and on and talk about the glory of God this morning. Here's the next thing is your hope in the glory of God, but is your hope in Christ Jesus? Turn with me to First Timothy chapter 1 verse one. Because once we come to that profession and confession, Woe is me, and our sins are atoned for. This is what happens for all of us. First Timothy chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and Christ Jesus, what? Our hope. This morning for you. Is Christ Jesus your hope? It will only He will only become your hope through confession. And the only way to confession is through being seen and known the glory of God. And so is Christ your hope this morning. But this is what we're going to look at next week. When we get to see the glory of God, Christ becomes our hope, then the passage says this, and we'll look at more detail of this next week. Let's turn back to Romans chapter 5. Since, therefore, we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace we in which we now stand. You see, our hope in Christ gives us the confidence to stand in the presence of God. When you walk into a place and you are standing, you're standing because you have confidence. But what the Apostle Paul is, we stand with confidence, not because I have anything to be confident about. But I can stand in the presence of God and the glory of God and the holiness of God because of my faith in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus being my hope gives me the ability and the confidence to stand before a holy God. Because without God sending Christ Jesus into my life, when I go into the presence of holiness, you know what ought to happen to me? It ought to be dust. Lot's wife, a pillar of salt, is what ought to happen to me. But when I put my hope in Christ Jesus, then I have a confidence when I go into the holiness of God that I'm not obliterated, not because of me, but because Christ stands in front of me and has already absorbed the wrath of a holy God. That's his death. His death is his absorption of the wrath of God that you and I deserve. And without that that confidence, we would be dust we can stand in our hope with Christ before the holiness of God. Which will lead to this last thing and we'll talk about it all next week. We what? In our confidence and our hope with God. We what? Rejoice. And then he tells us what we can rejoice in. We can rejoice in what? Our suffering. We can rejoice in our persecution. He says we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces what? Hope. But I will not and you will not ever rejoice in our suffering unless we have the confidence of what Christ Jesus has done for us on the cross, that we stand in the front of the holiness of God. The only way we do that is a recognition of God's glory that becomes like you and I, become like Isaiah and say, woe is me, I'm a sinful man with unclean lips. And in that moment of that confession in your life, the seraphim, Christ himself comes and touches you and says your guilt and sins are atoned for because of the glory of God. And so my question to you, my question to me this morning is this. Is it true through him you have obtained access by faith into His grace, in which you stand and you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Is that true for us, church? Is our hope this morning in the glory of God? And is our hope been placed in Christ? As Paul tells us in Timothy, Christ is our hope. Let us pray.